Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. So why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet. I want to invite you to stand and listen to the reading of the word coming from the son of the preacher man. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Um, Today I'm reading Isaiah 9, 2, and 6. Please forgive me of my allergies. Um, All right, here we go. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness On them has light shone, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. That's my dad. Thanks for... Pitch hitting in there at the last second, son. Appreciate it. You guys can sit down. Um, For unto us a child is born, and his name shall be called Everlasting Father. Think about this. It's, it's, It's ironic that Jesus, being the Son of God, would have a name that that is attributed to him as Everlasting Father. Almost seems like a, a misnomer, but Understand that uh, Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint. Everybody say exact imprint. Exact, exact imprint of his nature. And Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So here's what we're, what we're looking at. That Jesus, although the Son, not the Father, Jesus is the Son, but he has attributes of the Father because all three are one. And that's the, that's the extent that I'll go for the, the doctrine of the Trinity because then my head will explode and we don't have time. But, but yeah, not today. Um, but, but here's this idea that the son comes to introduce his father. That's the Christmas story. The son comes to introduce us to his father. So here's what he's doing. He is not the father, but he's representing the father. He's repping for the father, and he opens the door for all of us to enter into that relationship. So today, we're talking about our need as humans uh, for this everlasting father. And that adjective is really important, right? The adjective everlasting, because we have fathers, but we don't have everlasting fathers. We have uh, you know, real talk. We have disappointing, sometimes habitually disappointing fathers. We have distracted fathers, selfish fathers, uninvolved fathers, absent fathers. Um, but I'm excited to talk to us today about the everlasting father. Say everlasting. 
the Everlasting Father. I'm also excited to launch our new Christmas series, as, as Pastor Tyrone talked about, uh, and we're looking at Elf. Here's what's so great about Christmas at the movies, um, because there's a, a favorite pastime in many homes of gathering together in living rooms and watching Christmas movies, put some hot chocolate, uh, and, and sit down with pillows. It's a great pastime, but here's what's so great about movies. Movies are stories. And there is no more impactful way to deliver a truth, no more memorable way to deliver a truth than with a story. That's why Jesus almost exclusively used stories when he taught. Um, And so that's why we're going to do it today. We're going to do it with the story of Buddy the Elf. Anybody like Elf? All right, so Elf, we watched it, uh, we're going to watch a little bit of it today. Um, So Elf was a 2003 Christmas release um, and uh, it was written by an unknown guy you probably never heard of unless you watched the Netflix documentary. Uh, but the, the guy's name was David Berenbaum. And here's what David said about his work here. He said, the emotional journey of Elf was always a father and son story. My father passed away when I was younger, so the emotional drive of this film was searching for the father. And I knew that in telling this story, I could connect to it on that level. And I knew that that's the journey I wanted Buddy to go on. So without further ado, let's dive right into the story of Buddy. I took uh, about 18, opening 18 minutes of the film, cut it down to six. You're welcome. Enjoy. (laughs) Dad, and here's the spiritual parallel that we start with. You uh, received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God in Romans 8, 15 through 16. All right, you with me so far? It's fun, right? Okay. Now, um, so so Buddy's on his way uh, to find his, his dad, which is this whole funny, funny, funny bit. But if we replace the fantasy elements, that's what we have to do to start here because it's too comedic. But if we replace, you know, the Santa's workshop, the North Pole, um, uh, elves, um, and we replace that with, you know, your home, your relationships, your workplace, it starts to get a little bit more real and we connect with Buddy. So what's going on? Buddy, well, he feels like he, he doesn't fit in. He's always felt that way. But he's kind of suppressed this internal narrative until the weight of the words of others around him is so much that it really, it it causes him to collapse under the weight, if you saw that. Um, Have you been there? You know what that's like? And maybe it's unintentional. People don't realize what they're saying, but they, they connect into a part of us that's broken. And so Buddy's having this identity crisis. He realizes that uh, he was an orphan, but his dad is alive. And so he's drawn, he's both intrinsically aware that he has no idea who he is, where he fits into the world, and he's at the same time drawn to connect with his father. And there's a reason for that. That's why this story, you know, the best stories connect with a part of us that goes, yeah, that's true. Part of that's true. It makes it feel good. And so uh, it's true in the world around us that we are drawn to connect with a father. As a matter of fact, um, in 1999, a poll uh, was taken, a broad poll of Americans, and they were asked about 
uh, leading social concerns. And a surprising amount, 72.2% of those polled said that the, in their mind, the leading social concern was actually not lack of education, not drug addiction, but the leading social concern was fatherlessness. And it's interesting. Now, whether you believe that that is true or not, just know that that's what many people are, are identifying as the leading social concern. And I would say this, that the data supports that, actually. The uh, sociologists call this, this idea that fathers shape our identity or lack thereof, uh, they call this the father effect. The father effect, which is an umbrella term for uh, the long-lasting benefits, or lack thereof, of a paternal presence. And so the father effect, this is the overarching principle for us today, the father effect is seen everywhere with everyone. The father effect is seen everywhere with everyone. And, and we could go into, I could do a whole message on this. As a matter of fact, we could probably do a series on it, but we won't. But, but just a couple ways that we see this active in our society. Uh, for example, um, young women. Women who grow up in a fatherless home, young ladies, are seven times more likely to be pregnant as a teenager. Seven times more likely if they're in a fatherless home. That's a, that's a fairly big Ratio, And so uh, in the same side with young men, um, we see that 85% of youths that are in prison, uh, most of those, a lot of those being young men, come from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless youth and runaways are from fatherless homes. And we see that, um, especially in young men, that they struggle with habitual and uncontrollable anger and fits of rage, and often drives them to criminal activity, which is why they end up in jail. As a matter of fact, you know, I said, it, it, uh, this, this father effect is seen everywhere with, uh, with everyone, or everywhere with everyone, yeah. Um, it, you actually see this in the animal kingdom in a, in a weird way. You know, elephants are known for um, their, their uh, close-knit relational groups. And there is this surprising thing that happened in Polonisburg National Park in South Africa in the 90s where they had these rhinoceros carcasses piling up. And they had never seen this before. They weren't from poachers. Um, they were mauled to death. The only creature large enough uh, in the park that do that was elephants. But why would elephants do this? They hadn't seen this before at this level. Um, interactions happened, but not like this. And within a few weeks, they went from one body to 50. And they were going, what is going on? And so one of the park uh, uh, workers, um, his name was, I didn't write his name down, Les, I think was his name. He had this idea. I think it's because Polonisburg right now has no male adult elephants. All the other parks do. We've never seen this before. What makes it different? There's no, uh, no adult male bull elephants. So what they did to experiment was they pulled six adult male elephants from nearby Kruger National Park, and they planted them in the network with these elephants. And guess what? These teen elephants, the teen elephants they found out were the ones who were actually killing. Get this. This is amazing. These these young adult 
elephants had formed a gang. Does that sound familiar? They had formed a gang and were terrorizing their community, killing uh, their, their community members, and they were mad because they, did, they forgot how to elephant. And when they brought these six adult male elephants and everything changed, the killing stopped. Go read it. Go look it up. Um, uh, Polonisburg National Park, um, the, the mystery of the, the rhinos. Go check it out. It's really interesting. So they were literally driven mad. And they were restored by the presence of adult male elephants. It's true. The father effect is seen everywhere with everyone and every elephant. Um, so now, as true as this is in the natural realm, it's, it's uh, infinitely more true in the spiritual realm. Remember, you are not just body. You are also body and soul and spirit. And your spirit is longing, as much as your body is connecting to, longing to connect to a, a father, your, your spirit is longing to connect to your father in heaven, which is why Jesus came. So 2 Corinthians 6, 18 says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So now, this spurs the question, so Here's the promise from God, I will be a father to you. So aren't are we were all just, you know, God's children then, right? Aren't we all God's children? I think there was a uh, in the um, one of the Disney films, there was a song about that, aren't we all God's children? And so the answer to that is uh, well, it depends on your definition of father. So it's either yes or no. And if you define father as, you know, the biological sperm donor, then in that sense, then God is a father to everyone because he is the creator of life. He is the sustainer of all life. And so, yes, in that sense, he is the father to all. Um, but if you define father, uh, as probably most of us would, and that is on a relational sense, that the father is present and that the son or the daughter relate to the father, then in that sense, no, God's not the father to all. And so that's where we want to tie in uh, to Buddy here because Buddy has lived his entire life with this father void. He doesn't have a relationship with his father and he's longing for it. And it comes out in a really comical way in the film because he's so innocent and he just longs to connect with his dad and he wants to cuddle. And the dad's like, no. Um, so, you know, you don't get more emotional than the topic of father. It's funny, I was talking with Tony earlier, and he was talking about he innocently was quoting this film uh, with a, a, a co-worker and said, you know, because the, the co-worker had dressed up like Elf and, and innocently had said, you know, bye, I hope you, you know, find your dad. And she broke down. It's like, you know, you never know. Man, people are hurting, they're broken. This is such a, these memories can, can just pop up and they're so painful, right? Uh, so best case scenario, when we talk about father, I just want to admit, can I lean into this tension here? If I'm talking about an, an eternal father, an everlasting father, some of you, that's not a warm, fuzzy uh, topic. Now, best case scenario, I would say, is that, man, you've, you had a pretty great dad. Your dad was great. You love your dad. But here's the thing. I can attest to you uh, experientially. Uh, dads die. And so even the best of them, Leave us, eventually. But, you know, this is true. It's part of life. Best case scenario, but, you know, a lot of us don't even have that. Maybe your dad just really wasn't very good to you. Maybe you've got a lot of broken wounds, a lot of scars in your life because of 
uh, things that happened with your dad. And man, if we, if we sat down for coffee, there would be tears, you know? And so uh, it, it's like, or maybe they were, maybe dad was just gone completely absent, or maybe, maybe he was there, but also absent emotionally. Um, maybe you identify with this blogger who said um, that he would never forget the day his dad disowned him. Now, there's that kind of examples all over the internet, but he talked about, um, he, the, he's a, you know, this is a, a renowned um, a doctor, uh, well-known, but he talked about just honestly and openly the day that his dad you know, said, uh, take your $100,000 and go to hell. And that was the end of their relationship. They hang up the phone. And, you know, I'm sorry for being, if, if, if that's offensive to you, but it's just, that's the, that's the poignancy with which these father wounds can leave us. We never forget. And it, and it leaves a gaping hole. And so maybe you're here and you're like, hey, you know, I, I hear you saying everybody's searching for father, but I'm just going to tell you I'm not because there's too much water under that bridge. Here's what I want to share with you just at the outset. Listen, the deeds, deeds don't change design. Your deeds or the deeds of others don't change how you were designed. Uh, your experiences don't change your essence. Or this way, I'll say it is the big idea. You were formed to be fathered. You were formed to be fathered. You know, fathers are messed up here on the planet. They're, they're just like all of us. We've got broken places and but what should fathering look like? Can we just paint the picture of what it's supposed to look like? What should it look like? As you're growing, it should look like protection, provision, a father who is a source of trust for you. And as you grow, they teach you how to play. They teach you how to take risks. They teach you how to emphasize, empathize with others. They love you unconditionally. They provide you with confidence in who you are and in your value. And so not every culture does this really well. I feel like here in America, we're trying. We're doing our best. Um, I feel like we've, we've improved in some regards back from the 1990s. Uh, a lot of the, the Gen Xers, uh, we, we were like, man, I don't want to do fathering like that. I want to be present. We see that in the stats, but also we're also losing it in other areas. Um, but I, I love how the Jewish culture, um, at least to this regard, um, really honors father fathering and, um, and raising up young men. And so they have this thing called bar mitzvahs. You've probably heard of this, right? And so what they do is they gather a community of, of, of men, and the, and the child that's adolescent turns 13, and he, he does a, a, a ritual, and then they all say, today you are a man. And I loved that. And actually, I kind of, about 10 years ago, uh, I, when I, at this point I had three sons, and I was kind of mourning the fact that I had no clue what I was going to do to do this with my kids. I really wanted to make it special and say, like, you are a man. So if you don't know, this is what we did. I can show you the picture here. But I, I designed this tattoo. It's not about the tattoo, but it was just about this thing where I could say to my sons as they get to this age, and I say, no, this is it. This, there's some excellent maturity happening here. And I could say this is with Ethan. Uh, we designed this tattoo. It has our name at the top and the bottom. It says love and respect. There's our core family values and the, the cross of nails in the middle, which talks about pain and suffering, but the rose 
um, that comes out of, of that and the love, the sacrificial, unconditional love. And then all the other elements on the side are, are flourishing that harken back to knighthood, which is a thing that we talked about when they were little. You know, we're different. We have a different code that we live by. We want to be modern day knights. We want to operate differently on the playground. Playground rules are different for Ostroms than they are maybe for all, some of the other uh, boys out on the, on the playground. And so... I was so pleased that I was able to go with my, with my son, uh, Ethan, here and, and get this. He was all about it. He was desperate to do it. COVID set us back for a year. But um, I, it, that's just how I did it. But, I, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know this to be true. We are desperate. Uh, boys are desperate. Girls are desperate. We're desperate to hear a father say, I love you. I'm proud of you. And I honor you. Today, you're a man. I mean, we're desperate. Boys are desperate to hear that. And so, um, actually, <laughs> a quick uh, clip, actually, Buddy, you'll see that with Buddy, actually, here. If we, can we play that clip? Uh, Buddy's uh, list, I didn't show it in the first one. <laughs> it's comic, but it's a little sad, right? Buddy, uh, you're just like, yeah, that's a bad idea. We shouldn't do that. Um, it really kind of hits to that, maybe that father wound for you. Um, where it's, you know, buddy just seeking out affection and he was met with rejection. Again, he's not good enough. He wasn't good enough for the workshop. He's not good enough for dad. Um, and so maybe you're here and you're saying, okay, I'll give you. That resonates with me. That sits with me. But also, I, I just had enough disappointment. I've had enough rejection, enough abandonment. And I, why should I trust? Why should I trust God? Why should I trust again why should I trust anybody again? You know, fathering affects relationships across the board. And, but also affects a relationship with God. Why should I trust God? And that's a great question. I love the tension that's in that question. And I love it to ask it at Christmas. Because really, that's, that's actually the Christmas, part of the Christmas story. It's why Jesus came. The son came to introduce the father and what's so different about our father. God is not a reflection of our father earthly fathers. He is the perfection of our earthly fathers. You know, we're broken, we're messed up, and we're guessing at best, but he is the perfect father. Um, Jesus tells the story of another son and another father in Luke chapter 15. Anybody know the, the passage that we're going to talk about? It's, all, it's famously known as the parable of the prodigal son. Now, I'm just going to sum it up here. We have a Jewish uh, a Jewish man, who a Jewish boy, who really goes off the deep end and, and tells his dad, um, "I'll take my inheritance now." And his dad gives him what he asks for. He takes the money, packs up his bags, and basically flips his dad the burden. Walks out of the town, and he spends all of his money on wild living until a family, uh, a famine, comes into town. And now he, he's broke. And he can't feed himself, so he's forced to work as a swineherd. And so he's feeding pigs, and he himself doesn't have food. And he knows he's hit rock bottom when he looks at the pigs, and he's jealous of the, f the garbage that they're eating. And he and as a Jewish young man, he realizes that he has lost himself completely. And he's disgusted with himself, and he realizes, I've got to go home. And... He's so shame. He's so full of shame, and he starts rehearsing over and over again. I'm not worthy. 
I'm not worthy. I'll tell my dad I'm not worthy. I'm going to, he's walking home and he says, I'm not worthy. I'll just keep telling him I'm not worthy to be called his son. If he just let me, you know, sleep in the barn, I'll be adorned, just whatever. I'm not worthy, but I'm so hungry. Um, and then we have verse 20 of Luke 15. But while he was still a long way off, and he's still rehearsing the lines, you know, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I've heard that story a thousand times in church. It never gets old. It's a great story, Jesus. It's, it's a story he knows well because it's a story about his father. And it's, that's the father that he wants to introduce to you and I. That's the father that he wants us to live in communion with and to trust and to love. Um, so let's get back to, we'll come back to this, this verse in a minute, but, but uh, let's go to the prophecy from Isaiah that we started with, the prophecy about Jesus that was written hundreds of years, hundreds of years before his birth. And it says in verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And I just want to paint a visual picture for you here in the terms of Christmas. Picture, if you will, that kind of hallmark moment in a, in a film where you've got an orphan that's out in the cold. It's Christmas time. Maybe the snow is falling and they're alone. And they're walking down the empty street and they see a window of a home. And light is beaming out. There's a Christmas tree in there and what kind of pass by and they see all the love and the laughter that's in the home. And that's kind of what I see here in this, in this passage. They walked in darkness. They were cold and alone and homeless. They've seen a great light. And what was the light? The light, verse 6 tells us that it came in the form of a child. Jesus came. And what was the light pointing to? This is the thing. The light is pointing to the Father. Jesus' whole life was about pointing to the Father. And so it says, uh, his name shall be called. Now, I want to point this out. It says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. When you see government, don't think about politics. Think about sovereignty. Think about dominion. Think about reign. Kingdom. The King Jesus here. So he, government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called. And we're just going to hit on that uh, everlasting father but we also have wonderful counselor mighty god and prince of peace and here's what i want to say we're going to look at I, jesus wants to introduce us to four characteristics i think this morning of his heavenly father and he does that himself remember we said jesus is the exact imprint of his father so he's going to introduce us to what it looks like to love a wonderful and be in a relationship with a Wonderful counselor. That's the first one we want to look at. You with me? The Father is a, say with me, wonderful counselor. And I want you to think about it in terms of this. So counselor, meaning um, he provides comfort. He provides guidance, teaching, um, patience, walking him through. Okay, so this is a wonderful, and he does it in a way that's wonderful, right? It cause, it stirs wonder. We're full of wonder as we think about the way he parents in this manner, this counseling. And you think about 
again, verse 15, uh, Luke 15, 20, which says that he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around and kissed him. Now, the, what had the son done? The son had broken every rule. The son had, had crossed every boundary. There was a lot that could be talked about right now. But what was the father's priority in this story? Jesus said there was one priority on the father's mind relationship. Restore relationship. That gives us an insight into the heart of the Father God. He's not about rules. Now, he he actually loves rules that keep us safe. And so he talks about those throughout scripture and how to live and be and operate best in your life, you know? And so, yes, but that's part of the Christian life is, is learning the rules that, that God has set for us so that we can live the way that he intends for us. The same way that I do that with my kids. When I say, don't go play out in the street, right? Uh, it's because I care. It's not because I'm, I, I'm all about rules. You with me? So we have a, a wonderful counselor. He guides us. He leads us into all truth. Wonderful counselor. Next, we have a mighty God. The Father is a mighty God. You still with me? We're longing for this. Remember, uh, we were formed to be fathered. Formed to be fathered by uh, a a wonderful counselor, fathered by a mighty God. Now, remember on the playground, did anybody have this, my dad can beat up your dad uh, comments uh, back and forth? It's kind of a thing sometimes, right? And now, it's funny, uh, you know, as adults, when we think about that, but um, I think it's more than just bravado on the, on the part of kids. It also speaks to a place deep inside all of us that wants to know that our dad is strong and our dad will protect us. It makes us feel safe, right? My dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> and spiritually speaking, now, my kids might have thought that, but it was always wrong. Um, uh, did, did you think that? Okay. okay. <laughs> that was an accurate assessment then. Um, all right. Um, but, but we have a mighty, mighty God. Um, your father, in, in Matthew 6, all of Matthew 6, Jesus talks about his father, and he says, uh, verse 8, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask. He's mighty. He's all-knowing is how powerful he is. So, and then in verse 31, uh, continues that theme all the way through, and then in verse 31, he says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? So, um, th- we have this God who's mighty. He will he will provide, he will protect for us, and he will provide for us. You with me? Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Next, the Father is everlasting. We pointed to this earlier that we are desperate for an everlasting Father. We want a ever-present Father instead of an ever-absent Father. And this promotes a source of trust for his kids. I want to look at verse 20 again because I love it. It's so good. Don't you love that picture that we have with it? Um, it says, while he was still a long way off, this is, this, is, this is good. His father saw him. Just let that sit for a minute. His father saw him. What was the father doing? Man, He was looking. He was looking for his son. And this is Part of the nature of the Heavenly Father that Jesus wants to connect you with. He said, you know, my kids were all, every, every one of my kids, they're all different. Everyone's a different book, but they were all this way. Daddy, 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 watch me. Watch what I can do. And the next thing that they would do was nothing, right? 
But they wanted me to watch them do nothing. Daddy, 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 look at I, I can jump from nothing onto nothing. It's amazing. Watch me, daddy. And what, look what I can do with my face. And so I got to watch. I got to watch. And I can remember them taking it and grabbing my cheeks and like pulling them like, you know, so I was eye to eye. Daddy. And do you think we have outgrown that? Uh, if, if so, you are not on Facebook. Um, because it's very much, you know, uh, look what I can do. Right? Uh, and, 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 and look what I can eat. Um, and, and, and look where I am. And, and like me, affirm me, value me, give me thumbs up. And so, uh, you know, it, it's, it, we just replaced the father with the face book. Um, it's a spiritual need that we have. We're longing. And, and this is an interesting verse. You're going to wonder why I'm reading it. Uh, again, from Matthew 6, because I was just reading that whole passage. But it, in verse 3 through 4, it says, But when you, again, Jesus talking about his father, but when you give to the needing, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. If you've ever read this passage before, and you were, it kind of creeped you out that God was such a stalker, understand that um, this, the context of this is not on the negative, all right? The context of this is that, what? It's in the context of reward. It's in context of seeing. And the same father who saw his son sees you here. And he is longing to reward you. And he's over here saying, I'm watching. I'm watching, buddy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still watching. It's kind of like Netflix, you know. Are you still watching? Yes. Uh, yes, I am, son. I'm still watching. Um, and this is comforting because in a world that only celebrates, in a culture that only celebrates the seen, we have a father who celebrates the unseen. He is the invisible God, so he sees the things that nobody else sees. And all the things on all the, the, the places where you just feel so invisible, remember, <laughs> isn't that great? Your father is invisible and he always sees. He always sees. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's never absent. He's always available. And he is a father that you can trust. You were still with me? Finally, he is the father that is a prince of peace. He I want to talk about it this way. We can talk about peace a lot in different ways. But here's one of the ways that he provides peace for us with an inner peace that is built on the confidence of who God is and who we are as his children in him. So the peace stems from identity in God, identity as his children. Think about it from the negative. I want to I think about it from the negative and work our way to the positive. If you don't trust God and you don't, feel confident about who you are, and you can't trust others, then you can't share any of your weaknesses with anybody, and you absolutely have to carry the burden of everything on your shoulders, and you got to be everything to everyone. Yeah, 
exactly. It causes anxiety is what we're saying. Um, and we won't take time to read it, but we can see in Ephesians 2 that this, we tend to find our identity in our successes and in our failures. But in Ephesians 2, it tells us that our, our successes and our identities don't matter. Um, our, our, I mean, our successes and our failures don't matter in comparison to our identity in Christ. Those things are subject to what God says about who our identity is. And that's comforting. It's, it's, he says it's not by works so that no one can boast, but it's by grace. You were once this, but now you are this in the Lord. So through Christ, the Father gives us a new identity. It's not earned. When we miss this, think about this. Think about this, because I was talking with somebody in the first service. When we miss this, we miss that we know that we are loved by our Father no matter what, and it's not performance-based. When we miss knowing that, that, that our dad is proud, and, and it's not because of our performance, but we miss the peace. But when we have that, we have a sense of peace, because we know not only what he thinks of us, but he, we know that he is with us. And this creates this, this inner peace, this, this, this circle of peace. I'm, I'm, I am my father's, he is mine. I, <clears throat> a story that I'm reminded of whenever I think about this is um, this, the PV Mall. Um, Ethan was maybe around uh, five. Um, do you remember this? The Shield story? Do you remember it at all? Okay. All right. <clears throat> um, Ethan was maybe around five. Judah's maybe around, around four. PV Mall. Now, if you don't remember PV Mall from the early 2000s, the place was bumping. On a bad day, there was 60 kids. And, you know, grimy, nasty kids running around. They clean it every day at 2 o'clock, shut it down, and launch it back up at 3. Remember, any parents, you with me? You know, I'm talking grandparents. You've been there? All right. It's a great place. Chill, sit down, let the kids go nuts inside in air conditioning. Um, and so we were there, and Ethan comes up uh, after about 15 minutes or so, and he's like, Dad, there's a mean kid. And I was like, oh? Uh, yeah, shove me, shove me down, he's saying mean things. And I was like, okay. Uh, well, you know, he points him out to me, and I say, uh, well, buddy, here's, here's the thing. Here's what, here's what you need to do. Go back out and just be you. Like, don't respond to that. Just be you. Go have fun. Forget about it. Let it roll off your shoulders. I'll be watching, all right? Have fun. And he just looked at me like I was nuts. Like, that is the worst parental advice ever, Dad. Just, you know, the five-year-old, like, you know, head shake. And I could see I needed more. And so I said, okay, buddy, all right, look. It's like this. I'm going to fuel you up. And I'm going to give you my shield. And his eyes kind of lit up. And so I lifted his arm. And I put my finger in like this. And I went. <sighs> put his arm down. And then I put my hands like this on top of his head. And I went. <sighs> went all the way down to his toes. And he was like. <sighs> and he went zooming around the, the playground. He was fun. Judah was like. Saw that. And he came over. And Judah stood. And he was like. You know. He came over, and so I did the same thing with Judah. He goes zooming off, and so I'm like, oh, okay, that was cool. You know, that, that helped. Yay, you know, win for dad. And so I kind of looked down, uh, not paying attention for a minute, you know, earthly dad. And so um, I see uh, Ethan comes back up, 
And I'm like, whoa, back already? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, fill her up. And I was like, and uh, Judah comes up again. And I'm like, oh, this is a thing, man. Down for the win. All right, cool. And so they run off. I kind of look down again. And when I look up and I see there's a kid, but it's not Ethan or Judah. Random kid. And he's standing there just kind of looking at me. And I'm like, you need the, you need the thing? He's like, uh-huh. I was like, okay. So I was like, lift the arm. I was like, okay. Go on. I was like, that was weird. All right. So I look back down. Ethan comes out, Judah comes out, whatever. And then I look back up. It's like five kids. I'm like, uh, this is getting strange. I guess I got to do it. So, you know, now, this is where you're going to think I'm exaggerating, evangelically speaking, or whatever, but I came home and I told Rosemary, this is the craziest thing that happened a day. <clears throat> it was like I was Santa Claus, you guys. The whole, like, about, about like half of the kids are playing, and the rest of them are circling back around to get in line. So there's like 30 kids on this line to get the thing. And I see Ethan and Judah back there, kind of like waving at the end of the line, trying to get up. And I'm like... <laughs> This is crazy. And one of the things I didn't mention, I was talking to uh, Steve uh, in second service, and he was like, I want to know, was, was one of the mean, was the mean kid in line? And actually, he was the third kid, in, or either second or third kid in line after Ethan and Judah, after that second spin around. And, I, and I, you know, full disclaimer, transparency here, when I saw that he was the kid, because Ethan had pointed out to me, my first gut check was like, you get nothing, sir. be gone. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, that's not how we do. That's not how we do. So, um, so I gave him the, the shield and the thing and, and what I'm, I'm, I have some explaining to do with the kids <laughs> if they saw that. Um, but I think it, what it points to is, you know, totally true story, not exaggerated. What it totally points to is this need that we are all designed with for a father. And I don't know what's going on with the you know, kids. I'm, I'm sure my kids would have gotten in line for somebody else too. But I know this, that we are desperate for a father. We are formed to be fathered. And Jesus opened the way of relationship. You know what I did kind of in a temporary way that, that day is I temporarily adopted some kids at PV Mall. And they got in line to be fathered. And... That's what Jesus made available to us, guys. He made the way so he could introduce his father to us so that we could, we could have the best thing in life, the thing we're all longing for. I mean, think about it this way. We got a number of, of uh, kids that are connected to our, our church here at Rivers that are fostered kids. Uh, they're in foster program and however you want to say that. And, you know, nobody knows. We're, we're talking about that he's the, he's the father that is the prince of peace. And nobody knows. What's the opposite of peace? The opposite of peace is, is being full of fear and anxiety, right? And nobody knows that life like a foster kid. Just this constant terror of anxiety and lone, and just thrust out there into the world alone. And um, 
The, the great news about Scripture is that, that perfect love, the kind that comes from the Father, perfect love, what does what? Anybody know? Cast out fear. So this is why we have a Father who is the Prince of Peace. He does that through us, through identity. Remember that the Satan is the thief, and he's like the OG uh, identity thief operator. Like He is all about identity theft, and he wants to steal your security from you. Um, remember, our relationship is tied. Our relationship with our fathers is, is tied to identity. So Buddy, remember he set out to find his dad, but he was also setting out to find himself. If you watch the film again, you'll see the snowman says that to him. He says, uh, I think this is a great opportunity for you to find yourself. Um, story, another story I want to tell you as I kind of wrap up here is that uh, in 2011, now, if you, you probably know this about some other cultures that, that little girls are not always valued in cultures. Um, and even in America here, we've struggled in, in times with women valuing, placing a value in women. And so um, in India, this is, is true, um, has been true. Um, and get this, I don't know if you know this, but there's a picture here of some girls, Indian girls. There's a habit of naming girls Nakusa in India. And you know what Nakusa means? It means unwanted. Can you imagine? That's your, your given name by the people that are supposed to, by the father that's supposed to be there to love you and protect you. That's your name. Unwanted. Somebody, thankfully, you know, I don't know if it's a believer. I don't know the whole story. You can check it out on Newsweek. Um, There's a Newsweek article, and they talked about that somebody got this idea like, this is really bad. We shouldn't be naming girls things like unwanted. And so they gave this opportunity, almost 300 girls, I think it's 285 girls, like in the picture that you saw there, 285 girls opted in to have their name changed. And they got to choose their own name. So girls chose things like, you know, valued, loved, cherished, seen. Remember one girl, she changed her name to, like, super tough was her name. You know? And they talked about how thrilled they were to go back into their classroom and that their friends would have to call them their new name. How does it feel to be unwanted? You've been there? That sits heavy on a heart, doesn't it? And this is the good news about the father in the Christmas story is that he comes in and he sees us. He sees us right where we are in the middle of our sin and our brokenness and our rebellion. And he sees us, Romans 5, 8, while we were yet in sin. And he sees us and he calls to us he longs for us. And he says, I got a new identity for you. I got a new name for you. I'm going to close with this story from a girl named Marianne. Marianne writes, I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me 
how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When classmates asked what happened to your lip, I'd tell them I had fallen or cut it on a piece of glass because somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an incident or an accident than to have been born different. So I was convinced that no one outside of my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored. And her name was Mrs. Leonard. She was short, round, happy, and a sparkly lady. And every year, we had a hearing test. Ms. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class. And it was just old school. Kids come up. She'd whisper in their ear and see if they could repeat back what she whispered softly. And one year, I went last. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something and we'd have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue. Do you have new shoes? And I waited there. And I listened. And I heard the words that God must have put directly into her mouth. Seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. Marianne says that uh, those words, they changed her life. Just a moment, you know? But she knew that she was loved, and she could be loved, and she was worth being loved. And that brought her out of her shell. She actually became a teacher herself. You see, uh, in spite of all of our misshapen identities, God loves us. Ah. And, you know, there's this old, this Christmas uh, tune says, uh, do you hear what I hear? Do you hear? Would you stand with me right now? Do you hear the Spirit speaking to you today? I wish you were my daughter. I wish you were my son. Or maybe it's, I'm so glad that you're my daughter. I'm so glad that you're my son. Here's the good news. This, this whisper can and will change your life. This, uh, this new name awaits you. You are Nakusa no more. Choose your father. That's the good news that we have today, that uh, you have a forever family. That's what the, uh, the foster uh, family, foster network calls it when someone's adopted. They say, this is my forever family. You have a forever family in your father's kingdom. Oh, man, I should light up your Christmas. I want to be a part of lighting up your Christmas. And here's how it begins. If you would just bow your head and close your eyes. Remember, you were formed to be fathered. And, you know, Buddy set out on a search to find his dad. And here's the story of Christmas. The father set on a search to find you. He sent his son on a rescue mission to bring you home. Your father's so crazy about you guys, and it's, it's really reckless. 
Um, but I'm so glad that I can be called a child of God today. And I'm so glad that you can be called a child of God today. And here, here's what it looks like. It looks like letting go of some things. It looks like surrendering because of your, maybe you're holding on to this need to control, this need to protect yourself, this need to do everything and be everything. And it's causing anxiety that is just wrecking you. And the Father is just standing here desperate for you to let go. To open your hands and surrender. Cuddle up. Your father's down for cuddles. Isn't that good? He'll whisper over you. I love that that verse in Zechariah. It says, uh, he'll sing over you. He'll quiet you with his love. They're there. They're there. It's going to be okay. Daddy's got you. That's the, the, the voice of your father speaking now. And here's, here's what I would say to you. Online, if you're listening and, and you feel the, the, the spirit speaking in your ear and you're here in the room and you feel the spirit speaking in your ear, there is now a moment where you choose what you do next. And, and here's the best thing you could ever do is just move to God. Whether you are apart from God and you have never established a relationship with him or it's just been distant. There's been some stuff in the middle. You've lost some trust. There's been some disappointments. Come on, let's go to the Father. That's what Christmas is about. He is drawing you to his Father, spotlighting him and saying, come on home. Come on home. As the band sings, King of my heart. That's our response today, friends. That's our response online and here in the room. It's make Jesus the king of your heart so that you can have a restored connection with your father. Let's go together. And let's celebrate this verse from 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.